Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit, as not always, but well, my name is always Amit, but sometimes someone else is talking in this podcast. But um, today I'm having a conversation that, let's say, some 20 years ago when I met him, uh, I don't think that I would have ever predicted that I would have uh partly because of my own identity then and partly because of his, I think. Um, but I'm really grateful to be sitting with you here today, Patrick Birkana. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Nice to be here. I'm, um, well, just the background, I want to present like a light frame for, for how we're coming into this conversation. And then I'm going to let you introduce yourself. But one of the things that I've been very curious about has been this current moment that we're in where so many people are becoming coaches or life coaches. Uh, so many people are going to coaches and life coaches and that modality seems to be really calling us. Um, and also, I mean, therapy and also a lot of these different modalities, we're really taking care of ourselves. And I'm also worried about the amount of coaches that are popping up. And I tried my hand at coaching, um, and didn't really feel that it was mine. So I've pivoted to working with groups and facilitating instead. But uh, you've kind of done the the opposite or not really, or we'll find out. Um, but uh, we had some some really cool conversations and we connected about a year back after a while of like hiatus. And uh, that was really profound. I could, I, there was uh, a deep connection there. So when you reached out saying that, hey, maybe I should come on the podcast, um, that felt pretty natural. Uh, to have this conversation. So I'm excited for this experiment um, that we're doing. So, um, but I'll start us off where we normally start with guests on the podcast. So Patrick, who are you? Well, it's a fluctuating uh, answer. And I think every time I get a question where I'm about to present myself, the answer comes out differently. So let's see how I am today. But uh, I think, you know, just connecting to um, I would say I don't really know, maybe. I think that's one of the things that's really cool about seeing myself as a process rather than an identity, as a fixed identity. Like, I am this, I am that. And, you know, just connecting back to what you said, like, you know, 20 years has passed in our relationship of on and off and things have happened. You've been an 18 and now you're, a, you know, you're something totally else living your life in Iceland. And so it's um, from that aspect, I wouldn't say that I'm anyone. Or my identity has become less and less fixed as I've delved deeper into myself, because the idea of who I am has been so deeply connected to family, society, and culture. And part of the process that I've been in for the last six, seven years, which has been some kind of spiritual awakening, has made me, not always willingly, but all, all those things has kind of fallen off. So what's left, maybe is a better question. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the question I can answer. Um, what's left is a being and a person that just is here to explore what the meaning of love and deep connection is. And I don't know, when I say it, it sounds so maybe like, you know, don't, don't overdo it, man. But at the same time, it's actually the truth. And like, if you go down to science, you know, what, what makes us healthy? What makes us live a long life? What makes us, you know, human beings just, you know, from a biological standpoint, feel good is when we're deeply connected to people. So I'm exploring how deeply I can connect to myself and other people. And that's where coaching as a modality has become something of a vocation for me. So it's, it's just something that has started out as I've done the process of deep inner work with myself. I've been able to, you know, just more and more, it's kind of branched out to people in my network where we, it's, it's just started off as deep conversations 
And um, that's where it's kind of going from. So I, I don't really have a plan. I don't really have a, a better answer to your question than that. Um, but maybe we'll do. <laughs> Thank you. Who are you? Um, oh. um, I've been saying that I'm curious. And that feels, feels relevant today too. Um, yeah, stay curious. It's a good starting point for anything. <laughs> Thanks for that question. I'm wondering, it would still be fun to situate you um, in something. Yeah. So um, Should I do the more concrete version? If you want to. Or where are you from? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I currently live on Gotland, which is an island in the Baltic Sea with my wife, Yolanta, and my two cats, Atlas and Minnie. I'm a half Gotlandic person, so I never thought I'd live here permanently, but I spent a lot of time here growing up. And five, six years back, we built a house here, and we just started hanging out more and more here. And the more we hung out here, the more we just felt that this was a meaningful place to, you know, place, uh, you know, a place to be for us. And for me, who's been a person with a high performance kind of identity in my past, uh, always kind of looking very long time into the future and planning and, you know, scheming and strategizing my life. Uh, it turns out what I needed the most was a place where I could get some roots and grounding to be able to read myself back into presence from the life that I've had in Stockholm, where we both, you know, we went to Stockholm School of Economics, a uh, lot of great, talented people, you know, um, but there are things in the, in that world where we came from and, you know, the startup world and the banking world and the consulting world where there's always something you know, down the line that we're looking for. Like we're always looking to manifest a dream somehow, but we're really anxious to get there as quick as possible. Like everything is like, how can we 10X this? How can we get there as quickly as possible? Like the coffee is on the go. Everything is on the go. Like no one has time to sit more than 30 minutes in a meeting. Of course, I'm exaggerating now, but there's there's a point to this, that life um, that that keeps people away from being present or it keeps kept me from being present you know so so this was the place where i reeled myself back into presence and it also kind of changed my perception of time here uh, just that because i think the the, the perception of time is a, a collective kind of illusion or idea that we create um, and here time has transformed into something else I don't know. I'm I'm kind of you know moving from point to point, but I'm just allowing it to flow, and maybe that's uh, it's a little bit more context. Um, I can of course speak more about a lot of things, but yeah. I love that you're bringing that in, though. That's a it's a new embodied. I've I've hung out with the idea of time for a while, and then I was working with a coach of mine. And uh, we, um, she said something, um, or we discovered something together, um, which was the first time I felt it embodied, which is that I, I really believe that time exists within consciousness. And that had really profound implications for me, especially with regards to rest, because I have a hard time to rest sometimes. Um, and then when I could perceive a year in a breath um, that gave me rest in a different way. So what do you mean when you say you could perceive a year within a breath? She just introduced me to this extremely simple idea that uh, the breath is four parts. It's in and turn and out and turn and in and turn and out and turn. And the, um, that's four cycles. 
in four cycles. This, you know, the moon is four, the medicine wheel has four, the year has four seasons, at least where we are situated in the Nordics. Um, and it just it was this profound feeling that with every breath that I took with full presence, I could get a year of recovery, a year of rest, a year of like unwinding things that had happened. And so it sounds silly when I'm saying it. And it was, it's, it is extremely profound to me, that experience still. So um, just speaking to that notion of time um, and how, and how it changes. Are you now? How present are you feeling now? From one to 10, one is um, Stockholm entrepreneur and 10 is Eckhart Tolle. Seven and a half. Well, you know, there's something about the cycles of time. You know, the Egyptians, for instance, they didn't see time as flow. They saw time as cyclical. And, you know, you know, many other old, uh, you know, cultures, they saw time as cyclical. Like, you know, a year is a cyclical, you know, just speaking to what you said, like, so they didn't see, they saw time as cyclical and repeating, like there are cycles. It's not a continuum. So it's, you know, the cycle of life or death and rebirth or whatever you want to see. Like there's, we have the idea of time as a, as a continuous flow. Um, and as Einstein said, you know, time is, is not an illusion, but the flow of time is an illusion. So, but, you know, I'm just, I'm not a, I just like to, you know, entertain, entertain these kind of thoughts. Uh, it's not that I can embody everything, but I think it's, it's interesting to, you know, see how the perception of time is different also over different cultures. So it's not only over, you know, different, well, there's, there are actually just different points in space time. Like I'm living one point in space time here in Gotland, you know, and it makes me perceive time in a different way. Yeah. And I mean, there are these, um, collective imaginaries, so like these stories that we tell. So I really love that you brought in that notion of time being collective as well, because it is a collective story. So depending on which context you're in, it's going to feel different. Um, but I was wondering, or a curiosity of mine, if you look back um, to what brought you here, like what, are there a couple of things that you have been escaping? What, what were you running from? Which question do you want me to answer first? There were a couple in there. Should I just pick? Okay. I trust you. Well, I, yeah. So, so everything brought me here, um, and I was running from myself. Um, you know, Jung has this saying: "Man will do anything to get away from his soul." And I think that's the kind of escape that I've been. <sighs> So, okay, so I've been in this, like, this kind of what I would describe as a spiritual awakening for the last five, six years. Um, and what I realized is, you know, we, we, let me see how I can get into this in a good way. Maybe I can start, I'll try it in, a, in an end. So what is a personality? So a personality or the ego is something is shaped during childhood from our experiences. And as a, as a child, we need two things. We need attachment, secure attachment to our parents and other things or other key grown-ups in our lives. Because as kids, you know, we don't, like homo sapiens, they don't survive for themselves when they're young. They need attachment. And they also need or want to, you know, just be their authentic selves. The, the child just be, being living out the child. But since attachment is survival and it's more important than authenticity, what we choose to do unconsciously as uh, when we're young is that we start to shape these behaviors that secure attachment. So we see the, the traits and the things that we get validation for and those things we cultivate because they secure attachment. And the thing is that we somehow consciously or subconsciously think that they're not good or I'm not getting validation and attachment from this, those things are 
riddled them with shame because we think that those parts of ourselves are not good. So those parts are subconsciously pushed down into the subconscious. So there is where the split in the personality begins. Like you, you create an idea of yourself during childhood, but there are parts of yourself that are still you, but they've been pressed into the subconscious because they're not serving you there and then because you need to secure survival, you think, through, through attachment. So, so this is where the personality is formed. And, you know, me, like everyone else, you, you know me for 20 years. The personality that I, you know, I, that I've carried from childhood has kept me in a kind of small container. And the things I've been running from, to ask in your question then, is the parts of me that I've been subconsciously repressing, that I've been ashamed of, the things that I've done that I've been ashamed of. And all those things has created um, a real solid driving force in my life. <laughs> Because, you know, the things that you run from, you can run at a very high speed. You can be in orbits. Like, I've been in orbit for, you know, many years. But in the end, in this spiritual awakening, what happened was, like, all these repressed parts just came to the surface. I didn't have a choice. It was like, you know, I, I, I describe it sometimes as, like, the permafrost that is melting. You know, these methane bubbles that come, you know. And that's been kind of how it's been for me the last five, six years, up until 2021. It was a really intensive phase where all these old repressed emotions and feelings and everything, all like all the things came back to me. So in the end, I couldn't run anymore. So what I could do was, well, just practice acceptance and to be with all those unpleasant emotions and give those parts of myself that I have been running from and I was ashamed of, give them love. And that's the hardest thing to do because giving love to the parts of yourself that you think you're not worthy, that makes you think that you're not worthy of being loved is a real, um, it's a feat. Yeah. Did that answer your question? <laughs> hmm. I'm still curious and now I'm just kind of poking in the wound, but <laughs> what, um, what were those themes for you? Mm. Well, one part is that I'm a lot more feminine that I've been kind of like the feminine side of me has been really, uh, I think, you know, we all have the, the feminine and the masculine energy in us. And one of the big fears I've had, don't know why, maybe you know, a cultural upbringing I had was like that I was somehow, uh, well, I was afraid that I, I was afraid of loving other men. And I was afraid that that love would mean that I would be gay. And this was a big, you know, it, it was, so the thing is, this is not something that I, you know, a theme that I've been contemplating, you know, day to day in my life, but I've, I've, I've met, um, I met a, a man and I, and I kind of fell in love with him. And I, and it made me so afraid. I like, I couldn't like handle it almost so but this is the thing with fear fear is an illusion and the things you fear like on the other side of fear is what you know what you really want and you realize that it's just fear but you have to go through fear and so this what it came down to long story well long story short since is it wasn't about me being gay or not. It was about me allowing to love a person, no matter what. Like that was the higher perspective that came out of this. Like it was about still touches me. 
But it was about allowing myself to love someone. No matter what, you know. So that has been a big integration for me. And, you know, of course, like I can only love other people as deep as I love myself. So in the end, of course, this comes back to self-love. It ties back to what I said. Like if I if I can't love those parts of myself, like I'm a person that feels deeply. I told you, I mean, like what I'm here for is deep connections. But if I if I don't connect deeply to a person because of gender, if I don't allow myself to feel love, and I'm talking here about platonic love, it's not sexual attraction. I'm talking about love. Then if I don't allow myself to feel that, I will never be fully. I'll never be whole. So it's like Jung said, do you want to be good or do you want to be whole? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But thank you for for going deep in there and daring to ask the question, you know, not not letting me off the hook. (laughs) Sounds like... um... The word that comes to my to my mind is um, is agape, that sort of create creating love, that omnipresent love, the no matter what. That's yeah, and I think that's you know my idea of love, you know, has transformed during these years, and you know from believing that love was this limited like stream of energy that I had to direct only like at one person, my wife. Specifically, you know, like, oh, this is the person I love, you know, the projection of love onto someone else and then believing that, oh, if I feel something for someone else, then this, that's going to threaten that, like, focused energy that I send only into one relationship. So, so it's, it's, it is actually about making love from one direction into a 360 kind of, like, experience, like there's. Love is not a, a scarce resource. <laughs> like love and, you know, one of the things that I've done is like, I, you know, when you feel unworthy of love, you outsource love, right? You, you need to find the source of love in validation and approval from other people um, or, you know, the things, the achievements you have in life like all those things. But the problem is like, you'll still have a void in your chest. And so until you like experience acceptance and love for all parts of yourself, you'll still have that void that you need to fill with external validation. So that's one of the things I say, don't outsource love. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> thinking about where we should go, but, but um, I want to say this anyways. Um, that there's also something around this particular moment with regards to what you brought in the like feminine and the masculine and the tendency that we seem to have to uh, grasp the things rather than be able to see the, the space like that Can understanding you repeat the that, question because you 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 um you uh, um, yes <laughs> gives me an opportunity to rephrase the um, but there's a there's a addiction almost i would say in our moment um to look at things so much we are, we are looking at the objects like the and whereas like love and sort of the feminine principle and um process as you brought in when you were when you were even introducing yourself, like who you are. I mean, those are, that's space. Like those are negative, negative things, if you will. Like those are the things that are not the things, the the stuff that's in between things. And just because it's hard to see and quantify and count, there seems to be a sensibility at the moment to kind of doubt that they exist in a way. And what I want to say with that, I guess I want to say that that um, what you're pointing to 
with the outsourcing of love and the fact that love isn't a scarce resource and it's not something that you have to kind of contain or or it's more that like if you love more then there's just more love like it it just it flows if you let it um that's been a hard one for me to get to as well it is the hardest one to get to for all of us because self-love like that's where it's at man like and that's like connecting back to what i said about you know childhood and the personality that we shape or the ego like it's the same thing it's just a a structure of ideas of who we are and it holds us in an idea that some parts of us are acceptable and lovable and some aren't and until we integrate those parts of ourselves the shadow or you know whatever name you want to call it the repressed sides of us there's there's going to be a void and that void like you know many people have ideas of what love is and most people confuse love with attachment actually uh we could go into that one but you know i'll hold it for now but in the end love is an experience so it doesn't really matter how much we talk about it on a conceptual level um I had a, a conversation, an interesting conversation, uh, a male conversation this week in a, in a forum, uh, which is like a, a men's gathering. And I, I experienced that, you know, some of the things that were shared were not shared from a, a place where people had taken full responsibility for their own emotions before coming into the conversation. And I said that, you know, I, I dig truth, but truth without love doesn't do it for me. Like there are many people that has the identity of like, you know, I'm speaking the truth. Like I'm, I'm the one that, that, you know, take, you know, makes it kind of almost uncomfortable. You know, they make it their identity to be the people that are real, you know? And I, you know, I said like realness or, 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 you know, truth without love. isn't really, it doesn't get the whole way. And they, it just got super triggered. And the conversation, like, really, like, and I understand why, because, because, like, this is, like, you know, in regards to men, like, the, the main strategy that we have to keep ourselves away from our emotions is being in our thoughts. Like, men are so, you know, we're so steeped in thinking and philosophizing and conceptualizing and strategizing, like, whatever we can to stay away from the pain that we have inside ourselves. And it's a real good strategy. Like it's worked for me, you know, until it didn't work anymore because I, I just, <laughs> I didn't have a choice. As I said, like by feeling through all, like, you know, all the, the stuff, the trauma, the, the grief, the anxiety, like, you know, being present with it. That's, that is what has led me back to my heart, to the experience of love. Yeah. And the I way that I feel I, it. Yeah, sorry, I just I can I can just end like take a take a last line. But I'm still a human being, I'm still a process. It's not that I can be in my heart all the time and experience that, you know, expansion. I still have a, a, a personality and ego that fluctuates between expansion and contraction. So, you know, I'm not trying to lecture anyone, I'm just sharing my experiences. Yeah, this in what came up for me, what's been alive, it's to run whatever energy comes through the heart. Like even let the anger kind of come out that way. Um and, and not keep it in. Neither keep it in, nor just destroy with it. Like it's it's not unfiltered. It's always it, if it goes through the heart, then there's as you say, there's the truth with heart. There the it's there too. It's yeah, it's true I mean, for there's, me. Oh sorry. No. It's the thing, like every emotion has something to teach us. If we stop dividing emotions into, you know, good and bad, like these are the good emotions that I should or I want to experience and these are the bad ones. No, 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 no. So emotions is just a spectrum of energy. And, you know, if you're going to be wise, you have to learn to feel the whole spectrum. And 
So it's about, you know, learning to be with your pleasant emotions and unpleasant emotions. But the thing with emotions is that there, you know, there are guidance tools, guidance tools, and it helps us navigate in the world. It helps us understand where our boundaries are, what's okay with us and not okay with us. But the thing is that wisdom comes from feeling your emotions. You don't have the higher perspective until you fully felt the emotion through. That's why I don't interact in conversations with people where I'm emotionally activated. Then I have to sit with my feelings. I've had a, a, a you know, like a, a relationship where I've, I've needed to sit with my emotions for two years. And I'm still not done. So I can't engage. It's not about distancing myself. It's about me taking full responsibility for my emotions before I come back and engage. Because until I felt the emotion fully through, I don't have the wisdom. Mm. What are you feeling? It feels like a nice <laughs> it feels like a nice point to to segue into coaching. Because I think, at least for me, oh, actually, I'll just ask it like this. Um, well, you didn't ask my question, though. What was the question? What are you feeling? Not what are you thinking, what are you feeling? This is certain aliveness, and I'm feeling curiosity. And it's like, my sense is that this whole conversation is bubbling from, from beneath. Like it's, it's, it's like percolating up and it's like, it's coming to me. It's just, it's flowing through me and us and this relationship. So I'm feeling connection. Connection is the antidote to trauma. Connection is the antidote to addiction. That's what human beings need. We need deep connection. And if we don't have deep connection, we feel anxiety and other things we so this is one of the most you know i'm just segueing into another thing but this is like that's why connection is at the core for me it's what been lost in society it's the it's not in the fabric of society anymore to have these deep connections you know the village is lost and we're in this hyper-individualistic time where everyone is looking for self-realization. But we're feeling like shit because we're not deeply connected. So we need to cover over those feelings of sadness and depression and anxiety that we get from not being deeply connected. And we can, you know, temporarily fill the void with, you know, anything. Work, porn, uh, alcohol, drugs work even workouts like you know you can but you know that's the thing when people haven't experienced secure attachment in childhood the same kind of biochemical reactions they get from from other substances they feel a sense of connection that's what addiction is they feel a sense of connection to the the device because they don't have the deep human connection. So I hope I don't, I didn't destroy your moment of feeling connection with me by going into a more kind of, you know, breaking down why connection is important. <laughs> no, I love that. I mean, it is, it both brings us towards where I wanted to kind of pivot, where I was feeling called to pivot. Um, but there's also something around that. I, 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 watch this the wisdom of trauma with Gabor Mate and then he says something there's this moment in there when he sits with uh, a group of women that's like at a half halfway house that have just gotten out of jail and they're like pivoting they're coming back into society and he was going through their different addictions and he was asking them like what did these addictions feel make you feel while you were engaging in them and and all of them said things like freedom love um connection like, and, and that's what it does, right? It gives us what we're lacking. And, you know, that's what Gabor also, Gabor Mate is one of my favorites, you know. Um, the, the, a lot of the things that I mentioned is from him. 
but he, he has a question or he has a statement, you know, he says, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. And addiction is one of the most misunderstood things in our society. We're such a society where we only look at the symptoms and we try to fight the symptoms. But at the root of, you know, addiction is this deep loss of connection. And the people that have this deep loss of connection is mainly people that have been severely traumatized. Like we're all traumatized to one degree or another. But those are the people that needs love the most. Like we all need love, but those are the people that needs love, acceptance, and understanding. Because the shame and the guilt from the things that they've experienced runs so deep. The pain is so deep that they do whatever they can to get away from themselves and from that pain. So the people that needs our compassion the most are the ones that we give it the least. Yeah, it's just sad. Mm. But so, and and in that, <laughs> that's a nice. It's a nice setup for where we're headed. I think um, this boom. Because I think it's a hard time. It's hard. I, I don't think it's existed. It might just have been off my radar, but I, I believe that it's a boom of like coaches and coaching and coaching as a modality. I'd love to both hear your perspective of like what it is <laughs> and also why now? What do you think? Why is it booming right now? Just to um, to get a clarification, are we speaking about coaches um, in the field of personal development now, or coaches in in all fields? Ooh, I don't know. Lead me down this. Well, let's limit it then to people that are within the field of personal or spiritual development, and I'll take you on a helicopter ride, and we'll get there. But I think we're we're in a time, time and place in the collective human development and the collective consciousness now, where we there are many of us that feel that the old ways aren't working anymore. Like our old ways of navigating in the world aren't working anymore. Like, you know, okay, we got the house, we got the car. And I'm speaking now about people that live in our context. I know that not everyone in the world has a house and a car, but I'm speaking from the reality and the universe that I live in as a Westerner in Scandinavia. And I know there are other parts of the world. So I'm speaking about my perception of reality from this collective and individual consciousness. But where a lot of people in, in this kind of context that feel that like, Okay, we've got the we got the position, we got the job, we got the whatever, you know, we we can travel, but at the same time there's this deep unsustainability in you know where we're heading with the collective consciousness here on earth. Um, extinction of species, mass extinction of species, um, climate change, just pulverization of ecosystems. And in the end, it comes down to like, okay, you've done all those things. And then you come to a point and you ask yourself the question, now what? Because none of the things that you search for or wanted to attain, all the things that you wanted to attain in the external world has given you the internal sense of satisfaction, um, of being at ease, uh, of gratitude for life, and all the other things. So in a culture, the Western culture, that is so deeply steeped in this um, a kind of BMP and welfare state idea of what happiness, that, that kind of material, um, a level of material comfort and sense of security is what will make us feel enough. It's like happiness is something you have. It's not something you are. Yeah. And 
So it comes down to this point where like, okay, we have all the things, but we're still not uh, feeling the way we want to feel. It's the best way, best way I can put it. So I think we're a lot of people that are feeling this kind of the, the unsustainability in the external world more and more clearly. And we're feeling it in our internal world. And the internal world is, of course, the only world that's, that is real. Like, we can have an idea of a collective reality, but in the end, like, you know, I put together my idea of reality through the inputs that my five senses give me, and I see a world around me, but that world is really taking place within consciousness, like within my head. I see a world outside of me, but the idea of the world outside of me is really inside of me. So, and my life experiences, so everything is a projection. Everyone projects their own world out there. And if we have, if we carry trauma, if we carry on like inner undealt energies and emotions, and if we don't transform those things, the projection will not be pure. But I think there's a lot of people that are feeling this inner unsustainability. And that inner insustainability is, of course, a longing for a deep connection with their own souls, their own beings, and a deep connection also to other people. So, But there's a deep spiritual longing and a longing for something else. I don't think people know what it is. You don't know when you start out. And... Um, I feel I've been talking for a long time. I don't know. I hope it kind of makes sense with the dots here. So there's a realization that the old ways aren't working anymore. And we don't know what yet the new ways or the new story that we need as a collective and individually are. And I think that is where people are looking for guidance. Yeah. And then, I mean, as far as I understand coaching, I think, it is it is accepting that that our interiority is going to be the the defining aspect of how we understand the world and so we explore by asking questions and and there is the the fundamental belief that each person has the keys to unlock their own happiness and connection and love and all of that and no i to me, at this particular point in time, and as you were speaking, it kind of just popped in. I haven't thought about it in that way, but it seems to me like there are two types of coaches that both fall under the umbrella of like lifestyle or like spiritual um, coaches where, and, and the categories <laughs> that popped into my head was um, the ones that are with what is, the, the ones that are fine with whatever is. And the ones that are uh, making things better. Like there's a fair share of, and that's probably the coaching that has been the hardest for me to kind of engage with. And I, I've, I've always shied away from it. And maybe it's a shadow side of mine. Maybe it's a value transgression. I don't know. Um, but I think it's more of a value thing where, where we're trying to fix stuff. Like we're trying to fix people um, rather than just be with people. Does that relate to you? Like what, yes. what comes up? Really deep, actually, uh, deeply. Because, you know, there are, there are many ideas that we carry. The idea that we have to improve, the idea of that happiness is a permanent state. And other things. And I think that's why I've been, I've been so, you know, also like just calling myself a life coach, man. I like, it's been like, I'm almost been cringing about it. Actually, I call, I don't know, sometimes now I call it life coach-ish. <laughs> I'm a life coach-ish. <laughs> um, because in the end, Ramdas, a uh, spiritual guru um, from the West who explored a lot in the East, 
He said, the only thing I can offer another human being is my own being. And I think in the end, that's where I'm at. Like, I don't have the answers. Like, I, I have answers and wisdom from my own inner journey, you know, that I've, you know, I've been able to transmute or alchemize a lot of those, like, you know, the trauma and the pain into wisdom. And that helps me see other people clearly. So I can, you know, I can be a mirror and I can ask questions that allows them to go deeper or further on their own path. But this is why it's also so interesting, you know, this world of, you know, especially I think in the corporate world, there's, if you're going to promote yourself in the corporate world, there's going to be attached to it since bottom line is still what it comes down to. Like it's about improvement or, you know, productivity. So that's why I, I'm not interested at all, actually, in the corporate world. I only do this as a person-to-person thing because if I can be so completely present and myself that a person can feel that they can be themselves with me and be comfortable in that space with me, that gives them the sense of safety. And the sense of safety is what can allow people to start daring to go deep within themselves, to go to those places that are hard, to go to the places where you feel that, well, the things that you don't want to share with anyone, but you, you know, the dark parts of yourself. So, yeah, I think it's just, I don't want to promote myself. Like, I, I almost don't want, like, you know, because it almost goes against, it's a hard line between, like, you know, promoting myself as, like, oh, I that I'm a person that can do something for someone else because I'm not, like, I can't. And in the end, I'm just a flawed human being. Like, and there's a, you know, I'm not perfect. I have, you know, stuff to work on. I have an ego that sometimes goes into orbit. Um, I have things and, you know, but I think it comes down in the end. That's like, for me, it's about being a human being, not projecting an idea of myself as someone who's got the answers or promoting the idea that you should self-improve but rather coming to this realization like, oh, like beneath the layers of personality and ego structures, an idea that I have to be something or do something in order to, here it comes, in order to deserve love. Because then we come back to it. Like at the center of it is helping a person on the path to self-love. So it's not about self-improvement for me you know, coming back to the question, the two types, there's self-improvement and there's self-love. And for me, the answer is unequivocally hard word mm-hmm. in self-love. You are frozen. Okay, cool. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> ah. This comes back to, you know, your question about like, who am I? Like, this is the thing. Like, I, I, I don't want to put myself in any kind of category because like the purpose of my life is not to, for me, to, to build an idea about myself. The purpose of my life, I won't know until I die what my destiny was. Like right now, you know, it seems that like, while I'm being my authentic self, I can fully be of ser- I, I, I can be of service for other people as well. And conversations, deep conversations, and you could call it coaching, allows me to do those things at the same time. It's not about me being altruistic. It's actually about me doing something for myself. And by doing something that is authentically me, I'm being of service for other people and the human collective. So, but I don't know. I mean, five years down the line, one year down the line, who knows, man? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That feels real. 
there is the aspect of like getting getting out of your own way. Like that's that's one way of of for me discovering these things. And the other thing, the other metaphor that I've been using or that I've, I'm feeling at the moment is like, mm, you know, where I'm in this river of life. It's a, it's a metaphor that's been used a bunch of times, but like as I'm discovering these stones or like blocks of, of stone from the past that are like, they're in there and restricting the flow. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm in a process right now of discovery where, where I'm being helped, getting help for the first time in my life to see how wide the riverbed is also or could also be. Like, and then like as I'm removing stones, like water is flowing slower because it's still the same amount of water and, and there's like a different depth to that. And, and there's also like a different, all of a sudden, it doesn't become so scary to lay back and flow with a river because it's not um, a rapid anymore. It's more of like a river. Yeah, it, life is a trust fall, you know. And, you know, it's coming back to what I said earlier, you know, I come back to points, but like, if we don't feel safe in our own bodies, if we don't have the sense of internal safety, then we will grasp onto the world with an attaching grip. Yeah, because you're like, um, or at least for me, it's, it's incredible. What if it could be like this forever? <laughs> That's like, <laughs> it's so good right now. Oh my God, it's so good right now. It's so good right now. And you're like holding on to it. Mm. But the other thing that comes up for me with regards to, I'd love to hear your view on it, but with regards to coaching, I think it's, it's also like this moment feels like we are, everybody's shouting. There's so much like, broadcasting and um, just to be heard, to be listened to and, and somebody that is, even if it's as, even if you're just kind of going through the motions of mirroring somebody, it's incredible what that simple thing is, like just to, to even if you're just acting that you're hearing somebody else, like you're not even actually listening. Um, that seems to be incredibly healing. So I'm, I'm very curious about that need for listening at the moment, or like the, the need to be heard rather than listening. For me, it comes down to like, my conversations aren't only about listening, but they are about being fully present. So you can't listen deeply without being <laughs> fully present or, you know, the, the, the depth of your, listening is in correlation to your ability to be present and we you know most people in their daily lives they are they are on the move you know the puzzle of life has to be figured out and you know there is uh, a job to go to and there's a you know daycare to pick up from and there's a dinner to be made and you know there's like you know, maybe you can get some exercise in there and, you know, maybe like we can check out something on Netflix for an hour before we fall asleep. Like life, the way that our society has, the idea of life in our society and the way that society is structured doesn't really allow us for, for presence, I think, unless you do like I do, which is like do a, you know, complete turnaround and move to an island and, you know, have a three-year retreat with yourself. <laughs> you know, that was my way of getting back to presence. Like, seriously, it was. Um, so so I, I think it comes down to presence. Um, and in regards to, you know, there's a, a, a you, you spoke to it there, there's a level of noise, you know, because everyone is broadcasting. And so the broadcasting, like in the collective sense-making, there is a point of broadcasting. If we see ourselves as nodes in the collective, we're all nodes in the collective consciousness or the collective humanity. But in order to, 
to send out a clear signal, you first have to listen. You have to discern and you have to make sense of the world around you and within you and observe yourself and understand yourself and your emotions and your traumas and removing stones from the riverbed, etc. And when you've done that work, you are a sender of a clear signal. There's a quality to the signal. Like I can only speak to myself. Like The more of the work I've done with myself, the more I'm able to make sense of the world and discern and not take other people's reality or truth as my own truth, but running them through my own sense-making model and feeling deeply and through my own experiences, you know, being able to make sense and then send a clear signal out into the world again. So there's a point in sending, there's a point in receiving, but there's a lot of noise. Mm. When you say sense-making, what does that entail for you? Sense-making for me is being, being able to navigate in the world in a way that is healthy and productive for you and you, the fellow human beings that you interact with or the fellow beings for that matter. Sounds like a full body process. What do you mean with full body process? Parts of the podosphere where I hang out, where sense-making is a really popular term. Um, that is a very mindy process. It's a very idea-driven process. And I, I was just getting a feeling that that's not what you're referring to. Well, there's a balance to be made between, you know, we have a mind and we have our emotions. The mind is in our head and the emotions are in our body. And a lot of people that are intellectually, intellectually driven, so to speak, um, if you rely too heavily on your intellect, without having grounded the, I'll take it again. For me, it all comes down to like balancing what I feel with what I think. And by observing my emotions that are, emotions are in the body and thoughts and intellect is in the head, you know, but whatever answer I, I, need is comes from a balance between my head and my heart and if you are like that that is i think the balance that can make us wise you know in the end like if we have that balance between head and heart like if we're too dri too driven by emotions if we're too emotionally reactive if emotions if we are identified with emotions to the point that our emotions become our reality it's not a healthy and productive relationship to our emotions. If we become identified with our thoughts as truth or as an identity, then that doesn't really do it either. So for me, it's about in the end, like, you know, we come back to the personality. The personality has ideas about myself, about other people. It categorizes the world in black and white. It makes judgments. So for me, it's about becoming an observer, you know, stepping back. I, I usually describe myself as like, I just watch myself as a player in a Sims game. Like I watched the avatar, Patrick, walk around and I collect data points to discern patterns. Like what is, what is this guy doing now and why? And how does it feel when he's doing this? And how does it think when he's doing this? And why is this particular situation emotionally charged for, for Patrick? And without coming back to your word, you know, curiosity, like a curious observer. And when you become a curious observer of both your mind and your emotions, rather than being identified with your mind or your emotions, you're able to make sense of the world in a, in a more efficient way. You're able to, you know, relate to yourself and understand, because when you understand your mind and your emotions, 
you know, it, it, it's what all the old Western traditions kind of come down to. Know yourself. If you know yourself and understand yourself, then you're able to navigate and make sense in the world. You're able to receive signals in a clear way. You're able to discern and you're able to send out a clear and well-discerned signal into the world again. But there's something that's a personal thing and it's like it's a, it's a little nitpicky but it's a, something around the language of the observer it's like but there are different ways to view that observer right like there's the there's the it implies separateness that word at least the way that i understand it from 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 sitting and and yeah. so i've been like more curious about like the the curiosity has been like the explorer rather like it's it's me interacting with the system like I'm part of the system I'm I'm, I'm in the middle of it and so there isn't really any it's just a that's why I like the word sense making because it's it that's what I'm like it is it means like sensing your way through through life and then like also exercising discernment as as a full body process like it's not something that I think myself through like i don't i don't have mental clarity it's not about clarity in the idea. it's it's just about deep confusion and and allowing myself to be with that deep confusion and then taking a step and taking a step and like seeing like observing the responses of the world but there's something around that language of the observer it feels so clinical it's like detached and and like it is also because of the whole like Schrodinger's cat like you're looking at the system from outside of the system and then you're like but there's no outside of the system so you know, who's looking. And then you have like the whole double slit experiment and like it's all of those like pictures and images that comes to mind for me when we're speaking about observers. And yeah, I wanted to tease that apart. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a great, like for me, that was a great contribution, I think, because, you know, I can't separate myself fully, but there, there is a, I think people that are identified with their personality, like this is who I am. Like mm -hmm. when I mm. do this, this is who I am. It helps in a clear, concise way to create a kind of separation between the, you know, the identification with thoughts and yeah. emotions. But in the end, I think, I think I'm going to just, you know, steal that from you and start using it because I think, you know, in the end it's, it, it is, that's what it is. Like it is, that's, that's the, like, that's the coolest thing. I get excited, you know, because life is a mystery, you know, it's a mystery yeah. Yeah. and you get to do your, like an exploration of yourself as, you know, you are the riddle, you know, and you'll never find all the answers, but it is this, you know, you're, you are really like, you know, like that's what I feel. Like I, I, like I almost get goosebumps from you know you saying it because it is what it is. It's just an expl an exploration of your own internal reality and understanding that reality rather than just acting out and projecting stuff into the world that you're unconscious about. Like so, you know, yeah. Let's go explore. Let's go explore. Uh, Amundsen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Give me a hot air balloon. Uh, or uh, what's the other guy? Contiki. Give me a raft <laughs> made of balsa tree. Uh, is there something else that wants to be said? I, I'm always, because I'm, you know, I learn about myself from other people. And since I'm curious and to a certain degree also self-absorbed, what is your perception of me? That's a fun question. I perceive that you have come into and acquired a lot of knowledge. I perceive that you are holding wisdom. I perceive that there is a longing or desire to 
you know what come up right before? Like there's this image of when people are um, putting on a VR headset for the first time. Um, what we tend to do is like we first we go and see if we can pick something up. And then we take that thing and we like throw it. <laughs> and that's almost universal. Like almost everybody does the same thing to see like what happens when we throw it. And I almost, that's, that's almost how I perceive you at the moment. It's like, you've picked so much stuff up and now you're like throwing them and like to see what comes back, uh, like on that curiosity level, like what's the feedback that I'm getting here? Like I'm ready to like step out of my own and like challenge myself to see like, can I deal with this stuff? Like, can I deal with the input? Like how's, how, what are, what are things that are coming back that I'm going to be able to like bounce off of and learn more? So I, I dub you a fellow curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, in the end, what happens is like when the, the need to defend the personality, when, 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 you, when, you, when you rid yourself of any narrative of yourself or idea about yourself, then, you know, everyone is just a mirror for you. So it's just, you know, speaking of what you say, it's just a way to, you know, how you perceive me is, you know, like some kind of reflection, you know, the idea of you is different in everyone's head and the idea of me is different in everyone's head. So, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, throwing some stones, <laughs> not on your riverbed though. I'm no, picking exactly. them up from your riverbed and throwing them away. Oh, yes, please. Into the glass house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to, work with you if they want to find you uh, or if they want to interact with you in some way where should they go they can find me on instagram patrick birkane with a no c only k and also patrickbirkane.com so yeah i will link in the episode page as well to both of those yeah it's been so much fun you know talking to you and yeah i feel connected to you and as i said in the beginning you know connection is my thing (laughs) yeah thanks for taking the time this was really fun and like i said 20 years ago not in a million years would i have predicted that we would ever have had this conversation (laughs) who would have thought (laughs) 